This time I invite you to turn in your Bibles, your pew Bibles with me, to page 1,890, where we find our scripture passage for tonight. 1,890. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18 to 22. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18 to 22. You know the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers, in submission to him. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones one time said that commentaries go into great detail explaining all the things that are perfectly clear and understandable to everyone, but when they reach something which is difficult to understand, they gloss over it completely. Well, we've come to one of those places in the scripture tonight, a notoriously difficult passage to understand. In fact, if you read a number of commentaries on this passage, they usually say something like this. This is difficult to interpret. Or, here's five possible interpretations. Um, You can imagine how helpful that was to me. In some ways, I'm glad that this wasn't the passage we were preaching when we had Kai's baptism, even though it seems more fitting. But, I'm going to do my best to try to simplify this for us in a way that we can really grasp and onto. And one of the reasons why I think we struggle with this passage in particular as Reformed Christians is because we like this passage um, because it, um, it says baptism saves. And when it says baptism saves, then we can really have a good opportunity to present our understanding of baptism um, the, uh, the connection between the sign and the thing signified. Um, but in fact, in the large picture, this is more about salvation I- in Christ um, than it is specifically about baptism. Um, so we're going to talk about that. Our theme tonight whatever we may face. We can be comforted 
with the reality. That our salvation has been completed by Christ. Whatever we may face, we can be comforted with the reality that our salvation has been completed by Christ. Has been completed by Christ. And so we have uh, three points tonight. The first is Christ's death. The second is Christ's preaching. And the third is Christ's resurrection. Christ's death, Christ's preaching, Christ's resurrection. So... Let's begin by looking at point number one. The first thing that we have to do when we are um, studying this is make sure that we're not disconnecting it from everything that's come before, okay? So, verse 18 says, For Christ died for sins once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. This is in connection to verse 17, where Peter has just made the argument that um, even if we receive harm, even if we uh, are harmed, uh, we should be harmed for doing good. And, and, and then Peter then seems to say, it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Well, who is the prime example of suffering for doing good rather than evil? It's Christ. And so he says, for Christ died for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous. Um, Christ suffered for doing good. In fact, if you're going to be very, very specific, very strict in your definition of good, Christ is the only one who has ever suffered for doing no wrong, being without sin. Christ received the punishment of a sinner. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Now, I was told that um, one of the things you're not supposed to do in your sermons is, is, um, is talk about, hey, remember like three weeks ago when I said such and such, you know? But I don't think it's too bad to say, remember this morning? <laughs> remember this morning when I said the great thing about salvation is that we get to enjoy God, right? So this is exactly what Peter is saying here. He's saying what is so great about the salvation that we have in the death of Jesus Christ is that he died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. That's what heaven is about. It's being brought to God, right? Salvation is about the separation that we had, the disunity that we had with God, our creator, is reversed. We now are in communion with God again. Salvation means that Christ has brought us to God. And so when you read those passages of the New Testament that says that you are now seated with Christ in the heavenly places, 
in Christ is the way that we have communion with God. We are in Him. And this happens through His death. Christ died for sins once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And then it says, um, a contrast. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Or here in the NIV, they say by the spirit and they capitalize it. Um, to me, this is, um, this is the Holy Spirit. Um, now that, that's, uh, I can understand why they would do that, but um, just so you know, in the Greek, there's no capital letters. So um, this is something that the NIV translators are doing because what they believe is being said here is uh, a, sort of like a Trinitarian connection. Jesus died to bring us to God the Father and this happened through the Spirit. Well, if you look at all of the New Testament, sometimes it'll say God the Father raised Jesus. Sometimes it'll say Jesus in his own power was raised from the dead, right? And sometimes it'll say the Spirit, right? Well, because these are three in one, the same God, then uh, these things can be interchangeable. The way that it's communicated in the Bible can be interchangeable, right? Um, but here, I believe, more so than what is being said about the capital spirit, holy, capital S, Holy Spirit, I think what it's saying is the contrast between the physical and the spiritual realms. The contrast between the physical and the spiritual realms is what is being discussed here when it says, um, he was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit. Put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Uh, this is why, if you look down at the textual notes in your uh, pew Bibles, on that mark D, uh, which begins through, hum, through whom in 19, it says, or it could be saying, he was made alive in the Spirit through which. So, this is the contrast between the physical and the spiritual realm being uh, communicated here um, by Peter. Peter is making a transition now to a, 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 a spiritual argument, okay? He's transitioning from the physical realm to the spiritual realm for his next point. This is the transition he's making. So our salvation happens in Christ's death, okay? So what about Christ's pre preaching, though? we got to get to this point because this is the um, very confusing part. Can be confusing, okay? In verse 19 then it says, uh, he was made alive in the spirit through which also he went and preached in the spirit preached um, to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built and it only a few people ate and all were saved through water. Um, and so in some ways you could be reading this and say, wow, Peter takes like a sharp right turn. Um, but it's all connected. So we're going to, as we go through, you're going to see... Um, 
how it's connected. Christ's death, he, he died, verse 17, for sins, for all, put the death in the body, death, made alive by the Spirit, speaking of resurrection, right? Christ's pe- preaching, through whom, through which, in which, equals in the Spirit, the realm of spiritual things. Uh, and this is, um, this is the part where if you go and you look at a commentary, it's going to tell you, here's the, the five top explanations um, of what's being talked about here. Um, and, and I'm just going to list a few of those things so that you can uh, grasp the con- contrast of what's being said. So one of the things that many uh, commentators today believe is that Peter is in- influenced um, by uh, a writing, a popular non-canonical writing of his time called First Enoch. In First Enoch, there is these prophecies about um, the uh, angels in the time of Noah who, um, if you believe in that interpretation, came down and had sexual relations with women who were then uh, put in prison by God to await their judgment at the final day, okay? And so there is this correlation with this that they believe then that what Peter's talking about here is something that his audience would have known, this, this sort of popular writing called First Enoch in the first century um, would have been like a popular book of the day, you know, like a Nicholas Sparks book or like a, um, what's another popular writer, Tom Clancy book or something like that, you know, a big sort of uh, very popular writer. This is First Enoch, and so Peter's assuming that his audience knows these sort of uh, allusions that he is addressing. And he's saying, um, in order to uh, create this analogy that he wants to bring about baptism, he's saying, well, you know how, like, First Enoch, those, those, um, those angels were put in prison? Well, when Christ died, he went in the Spirit to where the angels were, and he uh, preached to them that he had overcome, and he had finally brought salvation, and their condemnation awaited them. Okay? And so... Um, not to be, uh, you know, uh, make light of holy things, but to me it's sort of like saying that Jesus, between his death and his resurrection, went down into the, uh, into the grave and he went na 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 to, to the, the people there, okay? So, and this is part of the reason why people understand and the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, when it says that Jesus descended into hell, that it's like a literal descent. Unlike in the Heidelberg Catechism, where we say his descent into hell is his experience of hell on the cross, or in the Westminster Confession of Faith, when uh, it's understood that his descent into hell or to Hades meant into the grave when he was buried in the ground, okay? Um, so that's one possible interpretation. Um, uh, another possible interpretation is that Jesus went and he went and he preached to um, victory to all the saints uh, from the Old Testament who were awaiting his completed work on the cross, whom he then brought into, uh, from the grave into the presence of the Lord, okay? So that's another possible interpretation of where uh, people were thinking this is what uh, Peter is speaking of here. Um, so that would be more of a positive sense of preaching, right? A preaching of, hey, I've won victory over the grave. Now your spirits can go from this generic place called the grave, Sheol, that's talked about in the Old Testament, and can be uh, then brought into the presence of the Lord now that this has been accomplished until you await, um, until you await your resurrection, right? Um, so these are, these are some of the possible interpretations. I don't know if I can remember all 
five of them, um, but um, there's, there's plenty of, of them. Uh, this is the one that um, I think is the most compelling, okay? Um, when Peter says, in the Spirit, Jesus was preaching to those who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, I believe what, what Peter is saying is that Noah was the one preaching, but Noah was preaching by the Spirit of Christ, okay? Uh, Peter says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, okay? And so the implication is that Noah, during the day when he was alive, he was preaching a message of repentance. Uh, judgment is coming. God is going to wipe this planet out. God is going to flood this whole world. Turn away from your sin. Uh, believe and know that this is going to come, and you need to turn from your sins now. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was preaching repentance, and he was doing this in the spirit of Christ. That language, the spirit of Christ, um, is not uncommon to, um, to Peter, to his understanding, to his language about uh, what it means, about um, about um, uh, uh, what, what prophecy is, about all these things, right? So this is what Peter says um, in, um, in Second Peter, I believe, uh, about um, inspiration. I'm looking for it. Hold on. Well, this is what I was thinking of. Um, we have the word of Second uh, Peter verse uh, chapter one verse nineteen. We have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's what I was thinking of, but I thought I had one that was better than that. Well then, this is what you get for not being prepared. <laughs> um, so, the essence of what I'm trying to get at is, um, Peter talks about how the people of old wanted to look in on, on what was going on. And they, were, uh, uh, they wanted to know more about um, what was going to be revealed in Christ. Uh, there it is. Verse 10 of First uh, Peter 1. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. See, that was important. Because the Spirit of Christ language is something Peter has already used. And he's saying that when the prophets spoke of old, the Spirit of Christ was the one speaking in them. And so Peter is making that same 
uh, analogy here about uh, Noah. He's saying the Spirit of Christ was preaching in Noah. Now, what then does he mean by saying something about uh, uh, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built? When and where is Jesus doing this preaching? Now, my argument is that the preaching is happening in the days of Noah uh, by the Spirit of Christ. Noah is preaching a, 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 a message of repentance because judgment is coming and salvation is today. And Christ is preaching that message through him, right? And so uh, why is Peter saying, uh, went and preached to these spirits in prison? Well, because he's talking about how all those who died in the flood are now spirits in prison. So they're now spirits in prison, but when Noah preached to them, they weren't. You see what I'm saying? It's like saying um, you see a picture of Queen Elizabeth when she was younger, and you say, oh, wow, look, that's Queen Elizabeth. But she's not Queen Elizabeth yet in the picture. You see what I'm saying? Now, when she grows older, she's Queen Elizabeth, but in this picture, she's just Elizabeth. But from your standing point, from your vantage point, you can say that, yes, that picture, even though it's before she was the queen, is, she's still the queen today. So Peter's doing that same thing. He's saying that when Jesus was, by the Spirit, preaching through Noah, he was preaching to those who are now spirits in prison. You see what I'm saying? Um, that's what Peter is saying. Um, he's saying... Um, that preaching at the time of Noah to humanity was about, who was about to get swept away in the flood, they didn't listen, but they are now in prison in hell. And so um, that's what, that's, that's the difficulty of the language that Peter is using there is it, make it makes it sound like what Jesus is doing is preaching to spirits who are in prison, who were alive at the time of Noah, but during his time of between his death and his resurrection, he goes to some place and preaches to these spirits in, spirits in prison. Um, I don't think that's what Peter is communicating. He's saying that through Noah, the Spirit of Christ preached. And now those people who were alive at the time of Noah have been now destroyed by the flood and their spirits in prison now awaiting judgment because they didn't repent. They didn't listen to the message. Um, and that's why uh, it says in verse 20, um, these, these people disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. So only a few, only a few were saved. So this is what um, I did my best to try to explain the confusing language that's being used by Peter here. Um, this is what you should remember when you, uh, when you read this passage in the future, okay? Um, what is being talked about here is most likely not that Jesus, in the Spirit, went to some sort of abode of the dead and preached to spirits who are in prison, but rather what Peter is talking about is the Spirit of Christ in Noah 
preaching in the day of Noah a message of repentance before judgment came in the flood. And those whom the Spirit of Christ in Noah preached to are at the time that Peter's writing spirits who are in prison. Everybody nod your head and put a thumbs up. Okay, all right. Because it's confusing, so I just want to make sure. This is the uh, argument that, that Peter is trying to then put forward as he transitions to this understanding about um, Noah and the ark. The ark equals salvation. Salvation through water. If you were in the ark, you were saved. If you were not in the ark, you were not saved. Unless, of course, you think it was a a regional flood, local flood, which makes no sense with the kind of language that's used about the worldwide sense of the judgment that's, that's made um, or the promise that God made that he would never do it again because he still does local floods. Anyways, um, the ark equals salvation. The ark is uh, where you were saved. If you listen to the message of coming judgment and repentance from sin. You went into the ark and you were saved. You received salvation, okay? Um, Through water. And this water, the waters of the flood, the flood waters, the waters of judgment, right? This symbolizes baptism. This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you, okay? Uh, This is the language that Peter uses. Baptism now saves you. Now, um, the uh, NIV has added a few words to try to clarify what's being uh, stated here. Uh, The word also is not in the Greek. Um, This water symbolizes baptism. That now saves you. That is the direct language that Peter is using. Um, And Peter then makes a clarifying point concerning his understanding of baptism. He says, this baptism uh, is not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge or response of a good conscience toward God. Peter transitions into the topic of baptism at this point. And he says, no one in the ark, it correlates to the symbolism and meaning of baptism. A passing through the floodwaters of judgment and coming out alive. Okay? Uh, For the punishment of the flood has not fallen on us, uh, but rather on Christ. So, the point being made here, the illusion being made here, that the point being made here is that the floodwaters, the judgment floodwaters um, of Noah's day um, are seen in the pouring out of God's wrath on Christ. So Christ received the floodwaters of sin, of judgment and condemnation, okay? And Christ was the one um, who um, was the one who was drowned, if you want to use that kind of language, okay? But because he had done no wrong, he comes out alive on the other side. 
The punishment of the flood then is not fallen on us, but rather on Christ. Therefore, just as baptism points to the death and resurrection of Christ, so we are to know that we have died to sin. raised to new life. You see the correlation of death and resurrection in baptism to the death and resurrection of Christ. Now, um, I have a friend who, who wrote an article about this particular passage because it can be difficult to understand. Um, and part of the reason why he thinks it's difficult is because um, there are a number of um, uh, clauses subordinate and parenthetical clauses in this um, passage that are ordered in a strange way. So he, he gives an interpretation. He or, reorders these clauses so that we can hear how closely uh, Peter is to Paul's uh, teaching about baptism in Romans 6, okay? This is how he reorders this passage. Corresponding to the flood, baptism now saves you, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. And instead of, this water symbolizes the water of, uh, for the flood, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven, is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So that's what the NIV has. This is what he proposes. Corresponding to the flood, baptism now saves you. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Um, when you order it that way, it sounds a lot more like Romans chapter 6, verse, um, verse 3 and 5. Um, we have passed through the flood alive because we are in the ark of Christ. We have passed through the flood alive. We are to think now on the power of resurrection life. Christ is now in heaven at God's right hand with all in submission to him, and Christ is our Savior. So just as God saved Noah and raised him up out of the flood, just as God saved Jesus and raised him up to his right hand, so God will save us and raise us up at the last day. That's why Peter, in the midst of his discussion and topic in talking about possible persecution, possible uh, suffering that's going to be happening in the Christian life. He wants us to understand our salvation in Christ. He wants us to understand that whatever we may face, we can be comforted with the reality that our salvation has been completed in Christ, by Christ. Okay? And there's a couple of points in the Westminster Confession of Faith uh, on baptism that I want to uh, draw us to that are pulled from uh, this particular passage. Um, the first point is that um, baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ, not only for the solemn admission of the party baptized into the visible church, but also to be unto him a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, of his engrafting into Christ, of regeneration, of remission of sins, and of his giving up unto God through Jesus Christ to walk in newness of life, which sacrament is by Christ's own appointment to be continued in his church 
until the end of the world. So Peter, uh, the Westminster Convention of Faith is saying the baptism that we receive points us to the work that was completed in Christ. Um, the sign and seal of the covenant of grace, the covenant of grace is in the blood of Jesus Christ. It is in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as much as our baptism points us to the, uh, the death and resurrection of Christ and makes us understand our own death and resurrection in him, um, it's doing its work. Um, the, uh, uh, the other thing that is stated here in the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith teaching on baptism. He says, the efficacy of baptism is not tied to the moment of time wherein it is, it's administered. Yet, notwithstanding, by the right use of this ordinance, the grace promise is not only offered, but really exhibited and conferred by the Holy Ghost to such, whether of age or infants, as that grace belongeth unto according to the counsel of God's own will in his appointed time. So, what the Westminster Confession of Faith is saying there is that it doesn't matter when you receive um, baptism. The, the effectiveness of baptism uh, doesn't have to be tied to the moment when you receive it. You don't have to have faith prior to being baptized. That's what it's saying. Um, but in fact, whenever you do place faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the power of the baptism, the grace of the baptism, um, is then uh, applied to you. And another uh, important thing that the Westminster Standards talk about baptism, something that we don't have in, in our confessions, um, is uh, question and answer 167 in the uh, Westminster Larger Catechism. What this talks about is how do you improve your baptism? And, and what that means is many of us, maybe we were baptized when we were infants. Um, many of us, maybe we were baptized or, uh, when we were younger, eight, nine. Uh, so how do we improve our baptism? How do we improve upon what uh, our baptism was to us all those many years ago? And this is what it says. The needful but much neglected duty of improving our baptism is to perform, be performed by us all our life long, especially in the time of temptation and when we are present at the administration of it to others, by serious and thankful consideration of the nature of it and of the ends for which Christ instituted it, the privileges and benefits conferred and sealed thereby, and our solemn vow made therein, by being humbled for our sinful defilement, our falling short of and walking contrary to the grace of baptism and our engagements, by growing up to assurance of pardon of sin and of all other blessings sealed to us in that sacrament, by drawing strength from the death and resurrection of Christ, and to whom we are baptized, for the mortifying of sin and quickening of grace, and by endeavoring to live by faith, to have our conversation in holiness and righteousness, as those that have therein given up their names to Christ, and to walk in brotherly love as being baptized by the same Spirit into one body. The point made here in how to improve our baptism that I think so closely ties to what Peter is teaching about baptism, why he's pointing his readers to baptism in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their um, trials that they're facing as living as Christians in, in this world, this first century world that they're in, living as elect exiles, strangers in, the, in this world, um, is this. By drawing strength from the death and resurrection of Christ, into whom we are baptized for the mortifying of sin, and quickening of grace, and by endeavoring to live by faith. 
Peter says, this is what Noah and the flood points to. It points to our baptism. What he's saying is, don't you understand that Noah had faith in God and God brought him through the flood waters? Don't you understand that Jesus Christ entrusted himself to the one who judges justly and God brought him through the flood waters? Don't you understand that when you were baptized, you were drawing yourself into the death and resurrection of Christ? You were being brought through the flood waters alive. And so now that you have passed through these judgment waters, now that your judge, your sin has been judged in Christ, do you not now want to live in light of the resurrection? of Jesus Christ, in the power of resurrection life. Don't you understand that your Savior is seated at the right hand of God now and he has authority over all things? Just as he was brought through the floodwaters of judgment and now is seated alive at the right hand of God and will be there forever, don't you know that you will be too? You can have confidence. You can have faith that whatever you may face in this life, that we can be assured, we can be comforted with the reality that our salvation has been completed by Christ. That we can trust and draw strength from the death and resurrection of Christ and to whom we are baptized that we might die to sin all the more and be quickened in grace and be endeavoring to live by faith in Christ and his death and his resurrection in his suffering and his subsequent glories. This is for us. Um, It's for all Christians who are strangers and wanderers and elect exiles in this world. Um, We've already been brought through the worst judgment there is. It's the judgment of God. We've received ours in Christ. We now live on the other side of the flood. We now live in light of the power of the resurrection. We have nothing to be afraid of. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you that baptism now saves us. Not by the removal of dirt from the body, but by the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who's in heaven now and at your right hand, with all angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. We pray, Lord, that we will keep our eyes upon Christ, who died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to you. Um, He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. May we put to death in our bodies our sins, that we may be alive by the Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you have brought us through the floodwaters of judgment. And that we have full confidence that whatever we may face, hardship, suffering in this life, we can be comforted with the reality that our salvation from start to finish, through death and resurrection, has been accomplished completely by our Savior Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with me songs?